Folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 72 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and uh, we are inching ever closer toward episode 100, which um, is kind of a big deal. Um, We're getting there. Um, I'm here, uh, as always, this morning with with my coffee. And I am uh, very glad to be here. Um, we just got back from a, a whirlwind trip um, to visit um, family. We went to, in the period of five days, we went to Pennsylvania, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, and then back again. Uh, we we visited my brother in Virginia. He's He is uh, getting married uh, in a couple of months, and um, we had to... Uh, we had to uh, see them and uh, take care of some things. They've asked me to do the wedding, so um, we're, uh, Virginia is a weird state um, when it comes to weddings. I've got a, I'm out, of, I'm an out of town, out of stater, and so you've got to jump through some hoops to be able to perform a wedding there. And um, at this moment, the jury remains uh, out as to whether. Um, uh, whether whether the government of Virginia is going to decide that I can do a wedding in Virginia or not, it's kind of silly. Anyway, we did that. Then we went to uh, went to Pennsylvania. Um, we had a, a family picnic um, for my mother's uh, my mother's family, uh, her side of the family, and um, I got to see um, a bunch of my cousins who I who I love dearly, and who I don't get to see nearly as often as I as I wish I would. Um, and uh, a couple of aunts. I've got a couple of aunts left. My mother's uh, sister and her sister-in-law, uh, her brother's uh, wife, uh, both of whom are in their 90s. And it's always a thrill to see them. Um, you, you know, when you, they're both doing okay. But, you know, they're, when you get to be 90, you know, things, things start breaking down. And uh, so neither of them are as quite as uh, healthy as they used to be. Um, so it's always a, it's always a treat when I get to see them, and and you always you always wonder a little bit, um, you know, uh, is this the last time I'm going to see them? Of course, that can be true with any of us. The, the last time I was up for a our family picnic, um, I got to see my cousin uh, Mark, who um, passed away last year, and he's only six months older than I than I am. So we just never really know, do we? Um, and then we went uh, went uh, for uh, just a, a part of a day over to Ohio. I've got my dad's cousin is in a nursing home there, and so we went over to see her. Um, and um, she's um, she's doing okay, but you know, it's just it's always good to spend time with family when you can, because you don't know. Um, I, I've got a I've got a friend in Texas who just lost her 18 year old daughter. Uh, the other day in a head-on collision, and um, I guess all this together is just sort of reminding me how precarious life is, and how important it is to spend time with the people that you love, and to tell them that you love them. Um, say the things that you want to say, because you don't know when you're going to get the chance again, or if you're going to get the chance again. 
so we had a very good we had a very good trip, um, and uh, but it, it was a very tiring trip. We we put two thousand miles on the car, and uh, on my very old car, and um, uh, I'm very glad to be back home and sleeping in my own bed again. So there's that. My my friend Eddie sent me. It's it's ninety. The last couple of days here, it's been ninety five or ninety six degrees and humid here in southern Middle Tennessee, Tennessee. And my friend Eddie sent me a picture this morning. His uh, his daughter just got married, and he's in Colorado, and it's fifty five degrees in Colorado. And he sent me a picture of um, uh, the the mountain scene that he was watching when he was drinking his coffee this morning, and. Uh, I got to say, his view is prettier than mine at the moment. So, anyway, but um, but it's good to it's good to be here. It's good to be back, and um, we're gonna we're gonna continue our discussion today of the Lord's Prayer, and we're gonna we're gonna talk um, more in depth about the first phrase, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name," um, and I I can't recite that in any way other than King James, so. <laughs> I apologize for that. That's just the way it is. I memorized it in King James language, and it's, it'll be with me in King James language forever. Uh, but we're going to talk about that today. And by the way, I want to mention a, a good resource for reading up on some things um, for the Lord's Prayer. It's um, N.T. Wright's book, The Lord and His Prayer, and it is one of the resources that I'm using um, in in this series uh, and I'll have a link in the show notes uh, for it. And it's uh, like everything N.T. Wright um, uh, puts out. It is it is very good and um, very, um, it's just, you know, if you want to get your thinking straight about Christianity, you should read N.T. Wright. Um, that's all I got to say about that. Um, as I've said uh, before, oh, hang on, got to have some coffee. Still searching for a conf- coffee sponsor for this podcast. We uh, we don't have one yet, and uh, I would like one. It's got to be good coffee, though, um, and hopefully a coffee company that does uh, some good things um, and doesn't just make coffee. So anyway, uh, as I've said, the Lord's Prayer is not just it, it's not just um, a, a quaint little easy to memorize do all prayer that we that, that's useful to teach to children. Sometimes we, we think of it that way, um, but my contention is that it's much more than that, and it is, it is connected, uh, deeply connected, to the story of Israel and Jesus' mission to rescue God's people from evil for the sake of the world and to recreate um, uh, the world in his image, okay? Um, now, to, to, call, to call the God of heaven... Father, uh, our Father, um, seems a bit audacious, doesn't it? Um, because, and I'll just speak for myself, but I think this is true for a lot of people, we, we don't always feel like a precious child of a loving Father, do we? Um, we often feel, as we move through this life, because of our flaws and our sins and our and our rebellion uh, we we often feel like a, um, like a child on the verge of being grounded, right? But the Lord's Prayer reminds us in this first phrase of, of who we really are. 
And it calls us to pray boldly um, from, from our true identity, not from the, the false identity that the enemy would have us believe is true. God is our loving Father, and we are, in fact, His precious children. And we are entitled to come into His presence and to speak with Him any time that we desire. And that's just the truth. So what does it mean for Jesus himself to refer to the God of Israel as Father? Well, there's there's more. So I, I did a, a rewind episode last week on the Father heart of God, and I think that's an important piece of understanding God as Father. But, but what I want to say today is that it's much more than that. When Jesus refers to God as Father, he is drawing on a deep well of um, Jewish history and the Jewish relationship with their God. There's a, there's a lot packed into that term Father that grows out of Jewish history. And, and we have to understand where Jesus is coming from. He's not, he's not just saying Daddy or it's not just some sweet term of affection. There's, there's more to it than that. And I want to I unpack a little of that here today. Um, so, but we've got to look back in, into Israel's scriptures. The first time in the Hebrew Bible that we come across the idea of God as Father comes from Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, when Moses uh, marches in uh, and stands before Pharaoh and he says this, he says, Thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let my people go so that they may serve me. So in that passage, God is claiming for the first time, he's claiming Israel as his son, as his precious child, and he is claiming to be their father. But not, not just a, he's not just claiming to be a father in the sense of ancestry, okay? In, in the context of what's going on in Exodus at the time and where Israel is in their history, God is claiming to be Israel's rescuing, redeeming father, okay? He is the father who sees the plight of his children, Israel, uh, their distress, and he steps in to scoop them up and rescue them and take them off to a, a new and glorious land, the promised land, and to live then in their midst in peace and safety and plenty as their father and their God, and to form them into a family, a society in the midst of the world, characterized by love and joy and justice. So for, for Israel to call God Father, then, was to hold on to, a, to, to this hope of, of liberty and family and identity. Uh, the slaves were going to now be called sons. Now, You've got to understand that by Jesus' day, Israel was back in slavery. Okay, God had rescued them from Egypt way back then, but by Jesus' day, Israel was back in slavery. And there's a big story there. All through the Old Testament, you can trace that out. But they are subservient to another foreign nation. And a lot of people don't know this about Israel's history because you've got to read carefully and put some things together and, 
it helps to kind of study some history too. But the Jews of the first century really believed that they were still in exile. They were still living in in an exile of of sorts, an exile that started in 586 BC when they were carried off to Babylon uh, in captivity. And even though they eventually returned to the promised land, it's very, very much true that from 586 BC onward, Israel had been under the yoke and control of a foreign power, different foreign powers, uh, Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece and Egypt and Syria and now Rome. Never again, when they were carried off into, into Babylonian captivity in 586 BC, never again was Israel their own. Never again were they free and independent, were they free and independent people, okay? And so by Jesus' day, they very much, they understood that, that, that in some sense, we are still in exile. They understood that they were sent in exile because of their sin, and so they understand, understood that in some way, God had never completely forgiven their sin, even though they had been allowed to come back into the land. Um, so they understood that they were still in exile and there was still a, a, a sin problem that God had not quite dealt with, okay? And so the Jews of Jesus' day were wondering, it was on their hearts and their minds all the time, when will the tyranny of evil and oppression end? When will Israel once again be free and forgiven? Now, most Jews knew in their bones because they celebrated it every Passover and sang about it in the Psalms that that freedom and forgiveness would come about when God rescued them again in a new final exodus, bringing exile to an end. And that would happen, they believed, when the Messiah came. And so the Jews of the first century were hoping for some sort of new exodus, a time when God once again would step in as a rescuing father and redeem them from under the boot of a foreign power, forgiving their sins in the process. Now, we know, of course, that Rome was not the big enslaving power that held Israel under its boot. There was an enslaving power far greater than Rome at work. And it was the enemy, the, the great Satan, Satan. That was the real enemy that God intended to deal with in this new exodus, okay? And so in the Gospels, when Jesus tells his disciples to call God Father, those with ears to hear would understand exactly what all that meant. Jesus was saying again, God is still your Father, and he is about to rescue you again from your plight. And that is the long-awaited hope of the coming of the kingdom of God. And as N.T. Wright says, the very first word of the Lord's Prayer, therefore, contains within it not just intimacy, but revolution. Not just familiarity, but hope. And of course, that, that, that revolution, that rescue mission, would not just be for the sake of Israel, but for the whole world. Freedom for Israel and the, and the, and the whole world in bondage would come about through the liberating work of the Messiah. And there are hints to that effect all, all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus 
picking up on all those pieces that his hearers would have connected, is saying to his fathers in this prayer, this is your prayer. You are the liberty people. You are the messianic people. So Jesus didn't come just to, to simply offer some kind of new um, pattern or, or, or even new depth of spirituality. Spiritual depth and renewal would come as part of a much larger package, okay? And we see that package all the way through the Lord's Prayer. The whole package is about being delivered from evil, about return from exile, about having enough bread, about God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, about being um, uh, spared from trial, okay? All of that, then, is, is subsumed under the term Father in this prayer. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus once again called God Father. In John's Gospel, Jesus uses the image of, of a father and son to explain what he was himself doing. So in Jewish culture, um, it, was, it was common for a son uh, to be apprenticed to his father in whatever trade the father happened to be in, whether it was carpentry or blacksmithing or, or farming or whatever, the son would, would apprentice under his father and would learn that trade at the hands of his father. And as the son's learning, when he runs into a problem, he checks back with his father to see, hey, how, do I, how are you handling this? How should I handle this? That sort of stuff. Um, that's what it means, okay? That is what Jesus is doing in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when everything suddenly kind of goes dark on him. He's checking back in with his father and he's just making sure, Father, is this the way? Is this, is this really the right path? Do I, do I really have to drink this cup? And so what we see in Gethsemane is Jesus, the, the apprentice son of his heavenly father, checking back in one more time to make sure he knows what the Father's doing and how the Father intends to go about it and making sure that he's in, in alignment with his Father. And the project that Father and Son together are engaged in, that Jesus, the Son, and his Father are engaged in, is nothing less than this new exodus, rescuing Israel and the world from evil, injustice, fear, and sin. And that apprenticeship was only complete when Jesus said on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So, so calling God Father is this, is this great act of holy, audacious faith, of, of risk, and it's not just the audacity of walking into the presence of the living and almighty, almighty God and saying, hi, Dad. You know, sometimes, sometimes the way we talk about God as Father, um, sometimes, I think, um, you know, and we draw on the word Abba sometimes, uh, which, which, which was an, an intimate term of affection in Jewish culture um, for a father. And sometimes the way we talk about that we 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 want to say we want to talk about God as 
and I've heard people say daddy, right? And and it it almost seems to me to be just a little too intimate. Like we forget, I mean, yes, there is intimacy there. Yes, God is a loving and caring and tender father, but he's also our God, right? And when, when Jesus calls God Father, there's more to it than just walking into the presence of God and saying, hi, pops, right? It, it, it is what, what's, what's being conveyed here. This is, this is the, it's the boldness, the, the absolute and total risk of saying quietly, please, Father, may I too be considered an apprentice son. It means signing on for the kingdom of God, of, of placing ourselves, body, mind, and spirit, into alignment with God and learning to do what he does, learning to, to be who he is. And that is what Jesus meant when he gave us this prayer. At the end of John's gospel, in, in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says to his followers, um, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And when we call God Father, we're kind of committing ourselves to stepping out as apprentice children into a world full of pain and darkness. And, and we find that darkness all around us, and it, and it terrifies us precisely because it reminds us of the dark, darkness inside our own lives. And of course, the, the temptation then for most of us when we're faced with that is to kind of switch off the inputs, right? To turn off the news, shut out the pain of the world, distract ourselves with YouTube or TikTok or whatever, and try to create a, a, a painless, sheltered world for ourselves. And most of our contemporary culture is designed to help us do just that, to, to recuse ourselves from the pain and misery of the world. And, and no wonder people find it hard to pray because you don't, you don't ignore that stuff easily in prayer. But if, as the sons and daughters of the living and loving creator God, if we respond to the call to be his sons and his daughters, if we, if we take the risk of joining him as apprentice children and calling him father, then we're called to be the people through whom the pain of the world is brought into the healing light of the love of God. And we then discover that we want to pray and need to pray this prayer. Father, our Father, our Father in heaven, may, may your name be hallowed, honored. In other words, may May, may you be worshipped by your whole creation. May the whole world be freed from injustice and disfigurement and sin and death and pain. And may your name be hallowed, held in holy honor. That's what Christian spirituality looks like. It's not, it's not the, the selfish pursuit of private goals and dreams. And it's also not shouting out into the void or, or simply getting in touch with our own deepest feelings, though it might at times 
feel like one or the other of those things. But prayer instead is the rhythm of standing in the presence and pain of the world and kneeling in the presence of, our, of, of the loving creator, our Father, and bringing all of those things together in the name of Jesus and by the victory of the cross. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As always, we'd appreciate it if you tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher, wherever, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, please visit us on our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast and check out our new website, thejesussociety.com. Uh, we're putting our uh, uh, the, the podcast on, uh, on YouTube and um, on Odyssey as well. Um, if you search for the Jesus Society podcast on any of those um, uh, places, you'll find us. If you'd like to support the show in our related industry, uh, industry, in, it's not industry, okay? Ministry is what I meant to say. If you'd like to support the show and our related ministry, um, we are the farthest thing from industry <laughs> here on the Jesus Society podcast. If you'd like to support the show and our related ministry, um, you can just go to the Jesus Society uh, website, thejesussociety.com, and click on the support TJS link at, um, at, at the top of the page there, and you can find out um, how you can support us there. Thank you for listening, and remember, you are greatly loved.